Abraham's a man, we'll go with that. The making of a man of God. And, um, uh, you know, there are texts that come our way in various shapes and forms uh, all the time. In James chapter 1, James says this, Consider it holy joy, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking nothing, James says. And so the trial and the proving of your faith bring about endurance which brings about steadfastness and patience so that you will be perfectly and fully developed, lacking nothing. So the purpose that God brings these trials and these tests into our life is so that we would be further developed, fully developed, and that we would lack nothing. God tests to bring out the good. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst. God's desire is for us to draw near to him. Satan's desire is to drag us away from the Lord. God wants to build endurance in us. Satan wants to make us weak. God wants to use uh, us, uh, wants us to lack nothing. Satan wants us to crave something. And so it seems to me that the mechanism that God uses so often to bring us to this place of perfection, of being fully developed, of lacking nothing, is... Uh, trials, tests, and even temptations that come our way. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, uh, this is got to be one of, the, one of the top five, maybe top ten for sure, chapters in the Bible. Okay, this is, this is a Hall of Fame chapter. Um, I'm not sure that it gets any bigger than this for Abraham. And we have seen some Hall of Fame moments in his life already, haven't we? This is huge. This is as big as it gets. And um, I have a, fr uh, a, a friend of mine. He's passed away and gone on to be with the Lord. Uh, this man was an amazing artist. And uh, he, um, uh, uh, he, he, would, he, he, was, he was an amazing man of God, too, because he, had, he, had, uh, he would look at things spiritually in, in, in just a very unique way. Because he was an artist, he thought real creatively. And, uh, and he was an amazing teacher. And I met him because um, he came to the church and liked the church years ago. And then um, he came one day and just said he wanted to speak to a pastor. And because my office was closest to the secretaries and, you know, everybody else was busy or whatever, they said, hey, well, this guy Bob is here. He wants to talk to a pastor. I'm like, well, what does he want? I mean, does he have, what's going on? Well, I don't know. He told, I said, all right, send him on in. And I mean, Two and a half hours later, literally two hours, two and a half hours later, we were done talking. And, and I had to say, man, you have to go. I have things I have to do. It was because we had just developed this friendship. And, and this man was an amazing man that knew a whole lot about all kinds of things. In fact, we used to say that um, no matter what it was, he had a file for it. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, his son, was doing a, a, a story on penguins. And he calls me up. He goes, hey, you know anything about penguins? I go, I don't know. Ask Bob. And sure enough, Bob knew stuff about penguins. You know, that's just the way he was. But there was something in his life that, that he had done 
And I would always say to him, Bob, why don't you go? Man, why don't you come teach at the church, man? Why don't you, like, have a Bible? Do something, man. I mean, there's, why are you just letting all of this knowledge go to waste, man? You should be doing something. And he would always say, Richard, there's things about me that you just don't know. And I just, I'm just not at liberty to do that. And I never understood what he was talking about until he shared with me what had happened in his life before he was a Christian. And to make a long story short, um, he confessed to a crime and ended up spending the rest of his life in prison, in Kokoran State Prison. And, um, but because he was an artist, they let him draw an entire mural on a wall of a Southwest landscape, because that was his specialty. He would draw like canyons and, and um, uh, pictures of, of desert scenes and landscapes, and, and he did pretty good with seascapes too. And he, he told me, uh, he said, well, Richard, and he explained everything that, you know, not everything, but stuff that was going on in his life. And he said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here because they're going to come get me, and I'm not sure that I'm coming back. And I'm like, that's crazy, man. And that's what happened. And he said this. He said, but before I go, I want to paint you a picture. Now, his pictures were, were, were big. It's not like a little thing you put. This, these, these were like wall size. And he said, tell me. What scene in the Bible do you want me to paint for you? And I thought, oh, no. And I thought, you know, I thought the cross. Then I thought, no, that's kind of like, I mean, there's all kinds of pictures. I want something different. That's what I thought. And I thought, well, what could it be? And I had all these ideas, and I said, I got it. I want a picture of Abraham in the wilderness and the, and the, the ram caught in the bush and him lifting the knife and your representation uh, 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 of the angel of the Lord holding his arm back or, or stopping him. And, and he goes, oh, that, you know, that would be awesome. I mean, oh, and then he started going off with all these things that he would do, and, and we could add this. and this. Oh, yeah, I totally see that. Well, I never got it. <laughs> uh, but he did give me a portrait, uh, a, a picture that he had done of some Indian pottery, um, and uh, apparently it was like one of his rejects that his agent sent back, and I couldn't find any fault in it. So that's one of my prized possessions. But I never got my picture of this. And, and this chapter, this chapter, it, it makes you tremble. It makes you, um, the, the awesomeness and, and the power of God is on full display here. And it's relative. And it relates to our lives as well. Okay? And so, hey, this is a powerful, powerful chapter. And, um, you know, the Lord will speak different things uh, to different ones of you. But I, I, want, I want you to, to do this. I want you to, to uh, every time you can think of a similarity between anything in this story and Jesus, I want you to just raise your hand and tell me what it is, if, if you can see one. As we're reading, don't read ahead and go, hey, down to verse 22, we're not there yet, okay? But as we read, if there's a similarity of this, anything in this story to Jesus, God the Father, Jesus, just raise your hand. So be looking for that, okay? Because it's all over the place. All right, chapter 22, verse 1 through 4. All right, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah 
and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Verse 3. So Abraham rose. We'll get to it. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abram said to his young men, well, that's the first four is enough. Okay, now, have you seen some similarities already? Have you seen anything at all? What, what did you see? Okay, it says, uh, uh, his, take your son, your only son. Okay, what else? See any others? Okay, we haven't got to that yet, sir. Thank you, though. Thank you, though. We haven't got to that yet. Oh, oh, saddled his donkey. Okay, right, right, right. Okay, right, right. Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey. Yeah. What else? Huh? Sacrificing. Sacrificing his son. Yeah. Anything else? We'll probably repeat some of these. Yeah, take your son, your only son. Now, wait a second. Time out. Didn't Abraham have another son? What was his name? Ishmael. So what does that mean? I mean, he's already got a son. But then he says, take this son. And he says, your only son. Um, and remember what happened to Ishmael? Remember there was all that friction in the home? And, and Sarah said, out she goes. Out goes uh Hagar and take her son too because he was mocking uh, Isaac. Uh, so he actually had another son, uh, but that son was was put out, if you would. Okay, um, and it's significant that Abraham did have two sons, but in an amazing act of obedience, he actually let them go because he was reluctant to do that. But then he let them go. Okay, and says Isaac, his only son. In the same way, Jesus is the only begotten of God. And in the Greek language, when it says Jesus is the only begotten of God, it means unique, only, the only one of his kind. A and so, are you a son of God here tonight? Are you a daughter of God tonight? Yes, you are. Are you the only begotten of the Father? No, you're not. <laughs> That's specifically speaking of Jesus. Um. Uh, and it says, the son whom you love. Okay, now now you know that it was 25 years in waiting uh, for for this son to come. And, 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 and there's a lot riding on this son. All of the promises of this that God has made will come through Isaac. And, and, and so he loves this son. And, and, and God said, speaking of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. And he tells him to go to Moriah. And it, it's interest and, and to offer up his son. And it's interesting that these words seem to contradict the previous words that the Lord had given to Abraham. Because out of all of all that this son represents, uh, if, if he gets offered up or if something happens to him or he dies, there goes all the promises of God uh, through him. The Messiah would one day come, and he wants him to offer him up as a sacrifice. Okay, here's a, here's a mark of a mature Christian. A mark of a mature Christian is you trust the promises of God as much uh, as you trust him. 
You trust the promises of God as much as you trust him because you cannot separate God from his promises. And so Abraham had the promises of God that all of this blessing would come through Isaac. And then the Lord speaks and says, I want you to offer him up. And that took an amazing amount of trust. So he trusted both in the promises of God and in, in the person of God, both at, at, um, at the same time. Um, now, he says to, to offer him up, to offer him up. In Leviticus, it details the prescriptions for offering up sacrifices. That's how sins were forgiven. You had to offer up a male animal that was without blemish. You had to offer voluntarily, um, and that animal would be killed, and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar. Okay? And so there's some similarities here. Also, um, Jesus Christ, which these offerings were a picture of him, uh, was without blemish. Uh, he gave himself voluntarily, and if you would, his blood was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. The Lord says that uh, uh, go to one of the mountains, which I will show you. Um, and there's, a, there's a specific spot that God wants this to take place. And, uh, you know, as, as, you get, as you grow in the Lord and as you learn more about the Lord, you, you learn that God is a God of specifics. There are reasons that he says things to us and things that he says to us in his word that are very specific. God may give you a very specific word, and there are reasons for that. Uh, he's a God of details. But here's the other thing. Many times the Lord only gives us a little bit or part of a direction or vision. Uh, he doesn't give Abraham the whole story. Uh, he doesn't tell him exactly where to go. He says, to one of the mountains, which I will show you. So it's step by step. Now, I, I wrote this down. When you don't know what God's up to in your life, go back to the last thing that you know he said. When you don't know what God's up to, go back to the last thing that you know that he said and operate in that, and then the next step will become a little bit more uh, uh, clearer. Do what you know he said, and then wait, and you'll probably get further direction. And that's what, that's what Abraham is doing. Take your son, verse 2, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So, so take Isaac and offer him up and go to Moriah. Well, where in Moriah? You just go to Moriah. I will tell you where. Now, you remember that Abraham, when he first left, uh, he left on a journey, and the Lord didn't tell him specifically where he was going, but he was to leave his family, he was to leave his possession, and the Lord said, and go to a land which I will show you. And so this is a, listen, our walk with Christ is a step-by-step -step progression. Uh, we, we begin to look more and more like Christ as we yield ourselves to him more and more. And so Abraham is willing to do this, to, to go to Moriah, not knowing exactly where, because he's already left his homeland not knowing where he was going. And all of these years the Lord has provided for him. Um, and then notice that it says this. It says, and Abraham 
rose early in the morning. Okay, let me read verse 2 again. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Okay, stop. Stop. Okay, think about that. I mean, we can read it and we can zip on to the next verse, but, but, but he's, he's, he's asking him to literally offer up his son to the, to, to the Lord, his only son, okay? The weight of it, all of the promises of God are going to come through Isaac. And the Lord says, offer him up to me. Um, okay. That's an amazing step of faith. And I want you to notice that he gets up early in the morning. Um, he's trusting in the Lord when he doesn't understand. Trusting in the Lord when he doesn't understand. Uh, he doesn't debate or ask for anyone's opinion. He gets up early in the morning. He's trusting when he doesn't feel like it. And the Lord's been leading him to this place for a long time. Remember how he gave up Ishmael already, whom he loved. And, and, but, he, but he let him go because it was the will of the Lord. Everything's a progression. God's got a plan. God starts with one thing, and then he builds on that. So he was willing to give up Ishmael. Now the Lord's calling him to give up Isaac, and it looks like Abraham's willing to do it. Well, I want you to also see how he's, uh, he's prepared. Not only does he rise up early in the morning, but he saddles his donkey. He takes two of his young men with him, uh, and he splits the wood for the burnt offering, and he goes to the place which God had told him. He's prepared. I mean, he's, he's not like half-stepping this thing, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to show up and say, Oh, Lord, hey, no wood for the Oh, who forgot the wood? No, he's, he's prepared. Uh, he, he has this much direction. And, and he's willing to go. Let me ask you this question. And this is an applica uh, application question. When did he make up his mind to go? Yes, sir. In the back. else. When did Abraham make up his mind to go? Hmm? When he was called to, right here in chapter 22? We don't read anything about verse 2 and verse 3 after the Lord told him what happens in verse 3. How about this? What are you going to tell Sarah? We'll be back. <laughs> oh, you better be back. <laughs> right? Wow. Wow. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I just think it's a question. Because when do I make up my mind? When God tells me to do something. 
after he asked me? Or is my mind already made up? I don't know. I guess it depends. I think in the making of a man or a woman of God that those people have the tendency to have their mind made up in advance that everybody's got. Because they've walked through circumstances enough. And, and when we sing the song, Joseph, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. If Where you lead, I'll lead. If, I, think, I think those people, that are, they, they already have decided that. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Wait a minute now. Hold on. <laughs> we can sing it on Sunday, but it ain't that easy to walk on Monday. Right? It's safe to sing it in here amongst the believers till the Lord interrupts our worship service and says, I want you to go here. And we go, what? Say what? Man, this is tough. He, his mind was made up. I want you to notice that he brings everything. And he goes to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. In the third day, he looks up and sees the place. How did he know it was the place when the Lord told him? Uh, three in the Bible, oftentimes, the number three signifies accomplishment. Three days to cross the Jordan in Joshua chapter 1. Esther's preparation before she went into the king was three days of fasting and prayer. Christ three years of ministry, and of course, three days in the tomb. It's symbolic of accomplishment. Well, verse 5, and it answers what you said. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. And that's the first use of that particular word, worship in the Bible. First place you see it. First place is right there. Heading up the mountains. First place you see worship. Men have called on the name of the Lord, but this is the first time it mentions worship. Ah. We will worship and return to... How did he know that? And I love the word. You know what the word for worship is here? You know it. It's shakaf. Ah, the band. That's where they get their name from. It means to prostrate, to bow down. Let me ask you another question. Did Abraham know that this was a test from the Lord? No. Yes. Had to be. Maybe not. We don't know. You think he knew why? Any particular reason? Isaac was the future. Everything. believe that. That, you know what, even if he dies, God will raise him back up. It'll be a resurrection. He had, a, he had a covenant with the Lord. That's right. God made a promise, right? 
Right, right, right. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Do you always know when you're being tested? Do you always know when you're being tested? I don't. I thought about that. I don't. I don't. Sometimes I get halfway in. I think, oh, I'm being tested. Okay, now I know. Sometimes I don't even think about it until afterward. I've even gone through the test and gotten a D minus and thinking, that was a test? Oh, I should have known. I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. Man, I would have. I wish I would. Man. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, brother said when, when he tells himself he's not going to be tested or tempted, he knows he's going to be tested. Yeah, yeah. You want to be tested? Just be, just be prideful. Just boast in, in how great you are, and, and how how strong. You want to be tested? Just boast in how strong you are in some area in your life. Man, I don't even struggle with that anymore. I got that down. Okay, <laughs> come see me in about five years or so. You never know, right? Yeah. Okay, that's different, right? Um. Um. Yeah. I think that he knew, chapter 21, verse 20, says, through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. And Isaac didn't have any children. And so he had the promise of God that this is going to happen through this son. And even if God raises him up, it's going to come through him. I mean, he got to that place, right, where he had absolute trust. Hebrews eleven seventeen. turn to your Bibles there, if you would, please. Hebrews eleven seventeen. You know Hebrews chapter eleven is the Canton, Ohio of the Scriptures, the Faith Hall of Fame. Chapter eleven, verse seventeen. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, "It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him." Abram, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him through uh, uh, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abram reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abram did receive his son back from the dead. So you're right. He was obedient. 100% faith. But I mean, it's one thing to sacrifice something you don't care about a whole lot. It's one thing to offer something that you don't care a whole lot about, but that's not a sacrifice. If it doesn't cost you a whole lot, you don't really care about, it's not really a sacrifice. You know, you got a bag of clothes that you're going to give to Goodwill, and on the way you see someone in need of a jacket, you hand them your jacket, that's, that's nice, that's nice, right, that's nice, that, no, you get points for that in heaven, you do, it's a whole other thing when you're walking down the street in the wintertime, you see somebody who needs a coat, and you give them yours, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, man, it's, it's, it's difficult to offer things up that, that we really care about, I will submit to you that this is, this is the, this is the, I'm not sure that Abraham cares about anything as much as he does Isaac. I'm just saying. I, I don't. It doesn't say that in Scripture. But but he loves his son beyond anything. I think beyond anything. 
And, 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 and there are times when God would have us to give up those things that we love. Those things that we love beyond anything. We'll get into that a little bit later. Verse 6 through 8, back in Genesis 22, says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac carried the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill. Jesus carried the cross for our sacrifice up the hill. Abraham took the knife and the fire. Spurgeon said this, That knife was cutting into his own heart all the while, yet he took it. Unbelief would have left the knife at home, but genuine faith takes it. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgot the knife. No, no, we got it. We got everything, right? We packed it all. God will provide for himself a lamb was the answer to the question. He knew that, but where was it, and how would he do it? And verse 8 says that the two of them walked on together. And, and what that literally means in the Hebrew is that, is that they went in agreement. And Abraham is trusting even though he doesn't know how God will come through. But he says this, God will provide for himself a lamb uh, to see. You know what? If there's, if, there's, if there's a better one summary statement of the Bible, I think that would be a great summary statement. God will provide for himself a lamb. Or in our situation, God has provided for himself a lamb. All right, verse 9 through 14, it says, and they came to the place of which God had told him. So apparently, once he got to Mount Moriah, he got to the specific place, because God's a God of details, and told him, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. All right. So they walk together in agreement. Um, for the revelation, keep on walking, Abraham. Son, come on. There's a spot that God, there's a place that God wants us to get to. We're not there yet, son. When are we going to be there, Dad? We're not there yet. We'll get there. We've got to keep walking. There's a spot. There's a place. And, 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 and if he would have stopped walking, he would have never got there. And no other place would have done 
but he had to get to that place. And so he kept walking, the two of them, walking up to What did they talk about? The Bible doesn't tell us. What was going through Abraham's mind? We don't know. But they kept walking. And then they stop on the mountain. This is it, right here. Then he builds an altar. And he's over 100 years old. Isaac could very easily have outrun him. Isaac could have very easily said, Dad, you've lost your mind. You are, what are you doing? No, you don't, you're going to kill me? I mean, Abraham, Isaac, we lose the obedience of Isaac in this. Isaac is a willing son who's trusting in his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross is a willing son who's trusting in his father. <laughs> I told you it was a picture of Christ on the cross. Jewish commentators say that Isaac was maybe 30 years old. And we don't know for sure. I've heard five years old. I've heard 30, but let's just go with 30 because <laughs> that works. 30 years old. And he lays down on the altar in perfect obedience to his father. Jesus said this, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, Jesus said. I heard this and I thought this was cool. God will sometimes take the will for the action of his people. God will sometimes take the will for the action of of his people when he sees they are willing he accepts that and doesn't ask them to go through with the action oh oh, 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 oh am I willing tonight Barnhouse said this but often there are believers who wonder how they may know the will of God we believe that 90 percent of the knowing of the will of God consists in willingness to do it before it is known. Ninety percent of the knowing the will of God is the willingness to do it before it's known, Barnhouse said. That's powerful. Um, and then at the last minute, God intervenes. This long journey three days journey into the there's nothing around they haven't seen anybody and they're climbing up this hill it's i don't know if it's hot or not it probably is and and they're grinding it out and and the whole time abraham's got the end in mind and, and he doesn't know what that looks like i mean he he knows that that he's going to climb that hill and he's going to find that spot and sure enough god shows him right where he's supposed to be and he's going to offer up his son but that's all he knows that's all he knows. And, and then, he, then he just, I could just kind of, I don't know if he was going slow or like, okay, now we're going to offer him now. Anytime now, Lord, you can step in anytime that you want to. Does it seem like God is late in your situation? Does it seem like he's late in your problem or your test or your trial? You say, okay, God, I've reached the end of this. I really need you now. Hello, are you there? Where are you, Lord? In verse 12, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. And I want you to know that this was after Abram took the knife to slay his son. 
It was after he took the knife. It was after he took the knife to slay his son that the angel stepped in. Incidentally, if you'll notice verse 11, see, I believe this angel is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. That's just me. And here's why. If you'll notice in verse 11, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him. And then at the end of verse 12, um, I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Oh, the angel of the Lord. So that was an offering to whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just saying. That's who I think it is. I think he shows up all over uh, the Old Testament in the form of the angel of the Lord. When God asked Abraham for the ultimate demonstration of love and commitment, he asked for Abraham's son. When the father showed his ultimate commitment or his ultimate demonstration of his love and his commitment to us, he gave us his son. I mean, we could say to the Lord, now I know that you love me, seeing that you've not withheld your son, your only begotten son, from me. Now, here's the interesting thing. God still required a sacrifice, but it wasn't Isaac. It was a substitute. And see, God still requires a sacrifice for our sin, but it's not us. It's his son, Jesus, who is the substitute. And Abraham calls the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Isn't it interesting? That's what he calls the name of the place. Abram called the name of that place, not the name of the Lord, I just realized this, but the name of the place. I mean, this is, there's, there's a mountain in Mount Moriah, we don't know where it is specifically, we have some ideas, and, and, and that's where Abraham said, this is where the Lord provided, right here. Uh, uh, not, not, no, this is, you know, sacrifice hill, this is not, you know, the, the, the you know, mount testing no, this is where the Lord, notice the focus isn't on Abraham. It's on the Lord and what the Lord was able to do. This is a prophecy of Jesus rising from the dead on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15.4 says that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Yes, ma'am. the wood, didn't he? That's a good point. And then he made the altar. Um, you know, God won't have anything between us and him. He won't. We will, but he won't. I remember times in my life where I've had things before God. I remember Not even in Isaac. Not even in Isaac. But he won't take anything away without adding a larger dimension of himself in, in place of that. You know, you know, you've maybe heard the expression that when, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Okay, maybe. But when God requires something of you, you get back a greater dimension of who he is. 
it's not really a sacrifice. Oswald Chambers says, God never tells us to give up things just for the sake of giving them up, but to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, namely life with himself. The picture of Isaac bound on the altar is a picture of the Christian being a living sacrifice. It's a good place for us to be with all things. I remember in youth ministry, I used to have this conversation a lot with young people when they'd have like boyfriends and girlfriends, right? And they'd get all consumed in those relationships. Like, and, and you could see the change in their lives and, and, and they, 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 they just, just, and they just, and it's like mine, mine, mine. And, and, it, and, and, and it's like they became, an, they became an idol to them. And I said more times than I can remember, you know what? You, you need to pry your hands off of that person. They don't belong to you. They've become an idol in your life. And I have found with many times when things be, when we go like this, mine, 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 and we go like this, that, that, that the Lord has to pry our fingers open and we actually, at times, have to release that thing, that person, that situation. We have to, we have to release it. Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable rational, intelligent service, and spiritual worship. In view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Isaac offered his body as a living sacrifice. We're to do that. Well, let me kind of wrap this up, and there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, notice that both of these two uh, were loved by their father. Uh, uh, both uh, Isaac and Jesus were loved by the father. Um, they, they both offered themselves willingly. They both carried the wood up the hill for the sacrifice. Uh, they actually were both sacrificed on the same hill at the minimum at the same mountain range or the same ridge because Moriah, check this out, Moriah would later be the place where the temple was built. And it could very well be, we don't know for sure, but it could very well be that where, where Abraham offered up Isaac on that very spot is where the temple was, where the sacrifices were being offered up to the Lord. And that's the same mountain ridge where Jesus Christ was crucified. And it may very well be that where Abraham offered, was willing to offer up Isaac, and where the sacrifices took place could be the same place where Christ was crucified. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, God, we got a detail. It, it could be. It could be. And both of them were delivered on the third day. Here's my final point, guys, really. Uh, you're a follower of Jesus. You've given your life to him. He's the Lord of your life. And, and, and there are times where he requires things of us. And some of those things are hard to give up. They're hard to... To, to offer uh, as a sacrifice to him. It, it could be, it could be a relationship. It could be 
my anger. It could be uh, some issue that I have uh, about myself that God's saying, let that go. And I go, I know, I know, but I don't. It could be some habit. It could be some sinful pattern. It could be something that's very dear to me that I do not want to give up, like a dear friend of mine who just, like, you know, loves coffee like nobody else that I know loves coffee. And she said, yeah, she goes, you know, because I would talk. I said, man, you drink way too much coffee. She goes, hey, I gave up coffee for a year. I, I know that's kind of funny, but I was serious. I, I was like, whoa, you know, give that up. I remember one time we had a, a, a missionary from Germany. How cool was that? A missionary from Germany living in America. That was cool. He was living with us for a while uh, back in the day. And uh, we're listening to some jazz music because that's like I love. I listen to that stuff like all kinds of music, but really jazz music. And I was and, and I was listening to some, and he said, uh, "He goes, hey, I recognize who that is." And I go, "Yeah, who is that?" He goes, "That's John McLaughlin." I go, "How'd you know that?" He goes, "Oh man, I used to listen to jazz music all the time." And I was kind of a newer Christian at the time, you know. Still, still, there's a lot of areas in my life weren't born again yet, you know. What I'm saying? And um, uh, uh, I, 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 I said, "What do you mean you used to listen to it?" He goes, no, I don't listen to it anymore. I said, why not? He goes, well, because the Lord took it from me. And I went, I went, just because he took it from you don't mean you're taking it from me. Turn it up, man, you know, hey, you know, right? I wasn't giving up my jazz, you know, but I did come to a point where I realized that I listened to way too much other kinds of music than, than really praise music, spiritual music, music that could edify my soul. You know, music's powerful, right? It's powerful. Well, um, Jesus speaks about this situation, and we'll close with this. Because, you know, like if Jesus mentions your story, that's a good thing. Would you agree? If Jesus knows your story, that's a good thing. And so he says in John chapter 8, verse 48, New Living Translation again, it goes, The people retorted, You Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? They're speaking about Jesus. Okay, it's getting hot and heavy, right? No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people are like, what are you saying? Right? Verse 52, the people said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. They're saying this about Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. He's got a demon in him. Can you imagine? Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Okay, okay, now listen, this is Abraham all right, this is like the top of the list for, for Jews in this day. This is Abraham. This is like, I don't know, a real crude analogy, LeBron James. Okay, I know that's bad. Forget it. All right, but this is, this is like, that's a crude analogy. Crude, not even close. This is like the man. This is Abraham. Notice what they say. They say, are you greater than our father Abraham? Because, you know, there are none greater than him is what they're saying. That's the top of the heap, man. And you're saying you're greater than Abraham? Jesus answered, if I want to glorify myself, it doesn't count. But it is my Father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. 
I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> you get that? We just read about it, didn't we? Jesus said he, he, he was the... He, he knew before you, Abraham knew my coming. He rejoiced, in the day that, he rejoiced in the day that it would come. He was glad. And the people said, you aren't even 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? Now they're like, man, this guy is out of his mind. And this is what he says. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. You mean I was before Abraham. I, I am, I am, and the I am in the Greek language, that I am, it's a, it's a name. It's a name for God. It is ego emi. It is the, the name of God. This is the holy, reverent name. And Jesus says, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced. And they said, you're crazy. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they went picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus was hidden from them in the temple. You know, it's a good thing when Jesus knows your story. Does he know yours? He does. He does. Does he know your name? Because because you, you worship him and you honor him. Um, you know, guys, is it worth it? I mean, uh, Hold on, hold on. Don't throw stones here. I mean, is it, is, this, is it worth it? Think about what we're talking about. We're talking about people who, who a, a group of people who will, who will surrender their lives to Christ, who will go where he says go, who will say what he says say, who will do what, what we see him doing. The whole time knowing that there are going to be times when that cuts against the grain everything that's in us. He's going to have us apologize to people we don't want to apologize to. He's going to have us go to places where we might not even like those people. He, he's, he's going to get all up in our business and he's going to show us who we really are which they're we don't even really want to know. He's going to show us the source and the causes. He's going to, he's going to ask us to offer up our Isaac. And we mean given up Isaac. Man, for 25 years, we, we, this was promised to me. And, and I'm not giving up, Isaac. I mean, let me have something here. I've left everything. I've followed you through the wilderness. I'm keeping my Isaac. I mean, everything I am is, 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 is in this son. Everything I am. You can't have that. I mean, is it really worth it? Is it really worth this life of sacrifice and giving and suffering at times willingly for his name? I mean, wouldn't it be better just to not even deal with, to not even be convicted of your sins and to not even, you know, be challenged by these amazing men and women of God that we can't hold a candle to? Is it worth it? Is, was it worth it for Abraham? What if he would have said no? What if he would have said, God, I'm not going to Moriah. I'm not offering up my son. No, what if he would have done that? 
It's unthinkable. I mean, what would he would have missed out at the uh, with of the ram in the thicket? He would have missed out of another conversation with the angel of the Lord. He would have missed out on God's miraculous provision. Was it worth it? Look at what God's already done for Abraham. Eternal salvation, Genesis 15, 6. Guidance, Genesis 12, 1. Courage, Genesis 14, 15. Spiritual blessings, Genesis 14, 9. Earthly need, he was a sheep, Genesis 13, 2. Social security, uh, unlike any other, Genesis 15, 15. Forgiveness, Genesis 20, 17. And a son in his old age, Genesis 21, 3. Continued protection, Genesis 15, 1. And the promise of a heavenly city, Hebrews 11, 10. Ah, is it worth it? I want to play this song for you, and um, I'm just going to play it on here, and then I'll put the mic to it so you can hear it. And I want you to just close your eyes and um, just kind of listen, listen to the words, because they're, they're powerful words. This song is called No Sacrifice by uh, a guy named uh, Jason Upton. 